Good morning, my name's Aaron, one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and uh, if we haven't met yet, I am super excited that you are here. If we haven't met yet, you probably won't understand this first part, but if you've been here a few weeks, we've been wrestling with some questions like, uh, you know, questions that you might not want to admit that you actually have. One of the uh, asking for a friends that I mentioned on the first week was, it went a little bit like this, it, it just asking for a friend, it, it's okay if a 40-something-year-old man wants to go to a Taylor Swift concert, right? Asking for a friend. And apparently you all took that very seriously. So someone made me a shirt. And I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> so if that's new to you uh, and you're like, y'all are weird, yes, we are, and you're welcome. Um, <laughs> so uh, welcome to Bridgewater Vestal. Uh, and if you don't feel comfortable yet, uh, I'm sorry, but we are glad you're here. Like I said, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are actually wrestling with some great questions, questions that honestly most of us ask but we don't, like to, we don't like to speak out loud because whether sometimes it's embarrassment, a.k.a. Uh, the shirt I'm wearing, or, uh, you know, sometimes they're a lot more serious, real, deep, meaningful questions. And today we're going to wrestle with a new one. But I want to tell you a story before we get into the question. The story comes from a long time ago. In fact, the story comes from... Uh, a little over 2,300 years ago, okay? The story is about a man named Alexander the Great. Now, I, I just love history, and so uh, I want to share with you a little bit, uh, one, one of the stories from his life. In 333 B.C., a long time ago, Alexander the Great marched his Macedonian army um, into Gordium, which was the capital at that time of Phrygia. So Macedonia is north of, of what you would know as, as modern-day Greece, okay? Uh, hence him kind of eventually becoming in charge of the whole, you know, Greek empire, right? So he marched into this area, Gordium uh, of Phrygia. And there he found a wagon tied to its yoke with what a Roman historian then later described as several knots all kind of tied together so tightly and entangled that it was impossible to see how they were fastened. Now, according to, tradi to tradition, the wagon belonged to a man named Gordius. He was the father of King Midas, right? You've heard that name before, the golden touch, all of that. And an ancient oracle, whether or not this is true or not, we don't, we don't know, but an ancient oracle had declared that any man who could untie that knot would then eventually become the ruler of, the, of all of East Asia, okay? So this is a big deal. Alexander's walking in, and he sees a knot like this, and he decides, I'm going to take the challenge. So when he gets there, he starts trying to untie it. And eventually he realized he could not untie the knot. So what did he do? <laughs> he pulled his sword and he said, I'll show you. And he cut the knot, right? Declaring himself to be the champion. Now here's the thing, okay? If you know your history, you know that Alexander the Great went on to be undefeated in battle. Never lost. Isn't that incredible? Think about all the places that he 
conquered. Okay? He defeated the king of Persia. He defeated the pharaoh of Egypt. He eventually became the king of Persia and the pharaoh of Egypt. And he defeated all of Asia. And yet in everything that he wrote, he thought his greatest accomplishment was this Gordian knot. Now here's what's so interesting. Here's the irony. Alexander died at the age of 32. Nine years younger than than me right now. Alexander died at the age of 32. And I can't prove this, but there's a lot of conspiracy theories and there's some knowledge around his death that tells us that alcoholism is probably what contributed to his death. Some sort of addiction. Here's what we know. He once killed a general in a drunken rage. He once sponsored a drinking contest that resulted in, think of this, the death of 41 people because of alcohol poisoning. 41. Okay? Here's what I'm getting at. Alexander the Great conquered everything that was in front of him, right? He conquered every nation. He conquered every army. He conquered every king. Everything that was in front of him, he conquered. But the one thing he couldn't conquer and the one thing that led to his own death was himself and his addictions. And here's the the tie-in for you and me. I realize that as we sit here this morning, that more than likely, a handful of us are far more embroiled in addictions than we want to admit. I guarantee it. So many people are incredibly outwardly successful, just like Alexander the Great. Everything that's in front of them, they get done. Financially, they're doing well. Job, they're doing well. Their family seems to look like it's all together. But in reality, what's going on behind the surface is that we are losing private battles. We are fighting and losing some sort of battle with addiction. Whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, porn, or even just your phone and entertainment. The reality is that there are habits that so many people are struggling with that just keep popping up over and over and over. So here's what we're going to wrestle with today. A question that we're going to ask for a friend. And we're going to ask it that way because I realize that this is kind of hard to talk about. But here's the question. Does God have an answer for my addiction? Because if you've been struggling with something, it is nerve-wracking to talk about. It's filled, it feels like it's filled filled with shame if you even bring it up. And, And I would guess you've tried to conquer this time and time again. And so maybe right now you're beginning to question whether or not God could actually help you or change something or do something about what you're walking through. Addiction can be defined as dependence on something or being enslaved by something or being in a compulsive need of something like you have to have it day after day, week after week, you have to have it. And the reality is that we can really be addicted to anything. I would say it's anything that you can't live without. 
It could be food, it could be sex, it could be people, it could be success, it could be money, it could be your phone. And so as we walk through this today, I want to ask you to do something with me. I want to ask you to consider looking at yourself. Because you may say, well, I don't, I don't have an addiction. I'm, I'm, not a, a, I'm not addicted to drugs or, or pain meds or, or alcohol. I know I understand that may not be your story. I hope you will listen because more than likely, there are people in your life who that's their story. And they need hope. But the reality is, more than likely, there's something that you're wrestling with that is just as much of an addiction. Now, I'm going to focus in for for a minute. I am going to focus in here for a little bit on dealing with substance abuse. And and there's a reason for that, okay? There's there's not a reason like, oh, I know we as a church are struggling with that. No, I I don't know. I just got here. You guys know that. I'm brand new. I I don't know. But what I do know is that the leading cause of death in people under 50 in the United States of America is overdose. Do you know that? The leading cause of death in people under the age of 50 is overdose. 92,000 people a year die from an overdose on meth, heroin, cocaine. Another 16,000 people a year die on other overdoses. But 140,000 people a year die because of alcohol abuse, over drinking, over and over and over again. It's a problem, and it's destroying people. In fact, it's destroying people so greatly in our country that for the first time, for the first time in over 60 years, for the last four years, our... our, uh, our, our lifespan expectancy has gone down. Do, do you understand that? Where's that coming from? It's coming from the fact that people are, are struggling with substance abuse so greatly. So here's the thing. You may say, well, wow, this is a really depressing day to show up to church. <laughs> well, Here's why I'm having this conversation. There are people all around us who are no different than us. In fact, I'm sure there are many here today who are suffering silently. They're void of joy. They're stuck in a cycle of failure. But we believe, I believe, Bridgewater, we as a church believe so strongly that God does have an answer for addiction. Whatever your addiction is, And so we're going to look together at an incredible passage of Scripture today that gives us joy and gives us hope and shows us that there is a way out. So I want to invite you to look at Romans chapter 7 with me. If you have a Bible, open it up to Romans 7. If you want to use one of your, uh, if you want to use an app on your phone, you can turn to Romans chapter 7. I'll have some of the verses up here as well. I'm not going to look at every single verse here today, but I'm going to walk through a good portion of it and show you what God has to say about the struggles that we have, okay? So let me just start with a little bit of Paul's experience. 
The guy who wrote the book of Romans is a man named Paul. He became a Christian later in life. And if you read about his life, it can feel like he was kind of this like Superman kind of guy. Like he did everything and seemed to do it well. But in Romans 7, he really opens up his story and he explains something about his struggle. Look at what he says. He says, although I want to do good, I want to do things well, I want to do good, evil is right there with me. You ever seen those cartoons, you know, where you've got a good angel and a bad angel? Those are always funny, aren't they? Well, he's not quite saying that, but he is saying that deep down inside, I want to do well. I want to honor God. I want to live. I want to make good choices, but I keep finding that there's this pull, this thing that's dragging me away from doing what is right and instead pulling me to do evil. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but can we just be honest with each other? Ever felt that before? Yeah. Like, we know what to do, but we're being pulled in another direction. He goes on in verse 22 and he says, For in my inner being, on the inside, deep down, I delight in God's law. I agree, God's right. When God tells us to to do something, he's doing it for our protection. When he says don't, he's also saying don't hurt yourself. So I, I get it. God, you're, you've given us good, you know, a good outline for life. I desire it. I want to obey you. But then verse 23, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And then he culminates this whole section with one of the most famous verses from Romans. It's verse 24. He says this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I mean, if we're honest when we look at our lives and and when we're, we're struggling with guilt and shame, this verse describes us, doesn't it? I'm a wretch. I'm a mess. Is there any hope? Who can help me? Who will fix me? Can anyone do anything about my struggle? And I don't care if if, if for you it is about substance abuse or something else. The reality is we wrestle with this question. God, can you deliver me? Will you deliver me? Is there anything that will ever help? And here's where we begin to see God's answer. You see, the beauty is that God gives us actually in Romans 7 and into Romans chapter 8 three crucial answers to our, to our question. And they don't, they don't just come out and like fix everything, but they are foundational. They give you something to build upon, okay? So answer number one is this. You are not as trapped as you feel. That shows up in the very next verse. You are not as trapped as you feel. You know, the enemy, if you're, if you're new to, to church or new to Christianity, you need to know this. The enemy wants you to feel trapped. He wants you to feel alone. He wants you to think that there's no one there. But when God shows up, he doesn't push you out or isolate you. He says, no, you're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, the very next verse, Paul gives the first part of the answer. Look at what he says. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's somebody on my side. 
He's fighting for me. He's fighting for you. Who will rescue you? Are you a wretch? I'm a wretch. I don't know if you are. Paul says he was a wretch. This guy was like a super Christian, but he realizes he, he, he was such a mess. But he says, who will rescue me? And then he answers his own question. I'll tell you who will rescue me. It's one. It's the one and only Jesus. He is there for you. And he is there for me. Who will deliver me? It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's beautiful. You are not as trapped as you feel. Now, you may say, well, Aaron, you don't understand. I mean, I've, I've been down this, this church path before. I've tried all kinds of things. I've been to, I've been to AA. I've been to NA. I've tried all this stuff. And, and uh, I understand you talk about Jesus, but, but it's, it's, you know, all that ends up happening is I show up in, around other religious people and I know what I did the night before and I just feel all kinds of shame and guilt and even though nobody's like really pointing fingers at me, I just feel all kinds of shame. Can I tell you, that did not come from God. Here's how I know. Just a couple of verses later, Paul writes this. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, Therefore... In light of the fact that Jesus will rescue you, that Jesus is there for you, you are not as trapped as you feel. In light of that fact, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, condemnation is something we, we understand. You've, you've probably felt guilt and shame before. Condemnation goes a step for, further. Condemnation says, not only are you guilty, not only should you be full of shame, but there's no hope for your guilt. Nothing can fix it. Nothing can change it. What Jesus says is the complete opposite of that. He says, I know what you've been doing. I know what you've been struggling with. I know what you've been turning to. But there is hope. And I'm not going to come at you with condemnation. You are not as trapped as you feel you are. If you feel like you are stuck in that cycle of being trapped, would, would you consider just letting a little bit of light come in where you start to tell yourself, I am not as trapped as I feel. There is someone who is for me. I, I don't know your story. I don't know what you, you've been wrestling with, but I want you to know Jesus is for you. In fact, we'll see that even more beautifully as we go along. But, but this verse is so powerful. Condemnation says there's no hope. Jesus says that's wrong. And thankfully, that leads us right into the second answer for our question. The second answer that Paul gives us is this. You are not defined by your darkest moment, but instead by Jesus' darkest moment. You know... Condemnation starts to creep in and it tells us your identity is found in the events of your life. It starts to creep in and it says, you remember that party? Yeah, you remember what happened? Oh, you, you don't really fully remember what happened. Or you remember that time where you got a, got a buddy involved in doing what you were doing and you know what it, it resulted in, 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 in that person's life? And you start seeing yourself through the events of your life and you start defining yourself by the events of your life. 
Here's the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the complete opposite. It says you are not defined by your darkest moments. Instead, you're defined by Jesus's. Now, what, what, are, what are Jesus's darkest moments? Well, the scripture actually tells us. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. It says, because, he's explaining, that word because here, he's explaining to us how God doesn't condemn us. He's explaining why God doesn't condemn us, even though we know we're guilty, right? We know the truth, okay? God doesn't have to condemn us. Here's why. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let me explain, okay? Something happened. Jesus did something on our behalf to set us free. He'll explain it in a minute. But in, in that, those opening verses in chapter 7 that we looked at, he's saying, I have this law of sin that's pulling me, pulling me away. Here's what he's saying. You can be set free from that work inside of you that's pulling you to do what is evil. You understand that? How? He goes on. In verse 3, look at what he says. He says, for what the law was powerless to do. Okay. If somebody gives you rules, what's the first thing you feel like doing? <laughs> Can we, let's just be honest. Okay. This, this is a safe space. Okay. <laughs> How many of you go, uh, yeah, I see your rule and um, I don't care. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's me. And my mom and dad told me, I, I, I was older, five years older than my brother, um, and so I had to watch my brother a lot growing up. There were all kinds of rules. You wouldn't think that you would have to tell two boys that there should be a rule that you don't lock the other one in a shed and leave him there, right? You wouldn't think that you need that rule, but we did. And I found out why. Because then the other brother, uh, well, whichever one it was, you know, the other brother then uses nunchucks to break a window. <laughs> right? You wouldn't think that you need that rule. But it became a rule in our house. <laughs> Here's my point. When we have rules, those rules don't keep us from doing wrong, do they? Because there's something going on inside of us that pulls us in the other direction. And that's what, what, what Paul is saying. He's saying the law was powerless to stop you from doing evil. It couldn't stop you from doing wrong because it was weakened by the flesh. The rules are there. We know it. It makes sense to us. But our flesh gets in the way, so we do what's wrong. Instead, here's what God did. Nope, go back. If we can go back. God did what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He sent Jesus to become a man just like you and me, to, to struggle with things just like you and me, and he became a sin offering. He paid for it. He did what the law couldn't make me do. He lived a perfect life. He lived the life that I should have lived, and then he died in my place. He went in my place, and he said, I'm going to pay for it for you. And then not only that, 
The scripture tells us that he gave us his spirit to enable us to fight sin too. See, what was Jesus' darkest moment? This right here was Jesus' darkest moment. God, holy, righteous God, taking on sin on himself. You want to talk about a dark moment. That's why on the cross, Jesus hanging there, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father could not look on sin. That's why he hung there. Scripture describes for us even that, that, that the, the sun went dark in the middle of the day. Jesus' darkest moment. The trouble is we like to define ourselves by all of our darkest moments. And the good news of the gospel is not anymore. Not anymore. When we define ourselves by our darkest moments, we tend to go back to them, don't we? We tend to go, yep, that's me. I'm a mess up. I've done it before. Might as well do it again. What's one more time going to hurt? And I'm telling you, if you are in Jesus or if you will turn to Jesus, you do not have to see yourself that way anymore. He condemned sin in the flesh. Sin has no hope anymore because of Jesus. Man, that is good news. Verse 4, in order that, here's what he was trying to do. Here's what he was trying to accomplish. In order that the righteous requirement of the law God's standard, God's holiness might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. He's not saying, now you can earn it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, he earned it for you, so now you live out of that. Now you have been made right, declared right in Jesus Christ. That's what he is saying. There is hope. God does have an answer for your struggle and his answer is his son. You are not defined by your darkest moments, but you are defined by Jesus' darkest moment. Let me share with you one more verse before I share with you the, the third answer. You see, in, in verse 11, here's what Paul says. He, he talks about the resurrection and what we, we have gotten through the resurrection. He says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead... Here, the, the Bible talks about the fact that, that when Jesus was raised, he was raised by the power of the third person of, of the Godhead, okay? The Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit had the ability to raise someone from the dead, if that same Spirit then is living inside you who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will also give life to your bodies because his Spirit who now lives in you. You have the power that conquers death living inside of you. You understand that? And certainly it can beat sin. Now, in, in the midst of our battles, we, we're often very, very quick to give into our flesh and instead of the Spirit. And I think we can all acknowledge that. So one of the things that we need to learn to do is to go and say, okay, Lord, I need to listen to you right now. I need your help. 
Maybe you call a friend. Maybe you reach out. Maybe you say, hey, I'm fighting this battle right now. You use the tools that are at your disposal. See, here's the thing. When we carry condemnation in our hearts and our heads, we're carrying a debt that has already been paid. When you focus on your past, when you focus on your darkest moments, you are carrying something that Jesus already paid for. I want you to know that. Let me share with you the third answer. Here's what it is. Your addiction, whatever it may be, and if for you we are talking about something other than a substance abuse, if we're talking about a, a phone addiction or, 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 or pornography or we're talking about you know, something, something else, whatever it is, your addiction is not stronger than Jesus. Period. The hero in Paul's life, when I read Paul's story, the hero is not Paul. <laughs> He is not the hero. It's easy to think that because you see him traveling all over the modern world and starting churches and people are getting saved left and right. And it's like, man, Paul's so cool. I would have liked to have met Paul. And I agree. I would like to meet Paul too. But you know, the only reason Paul is Paul is Jesus. That's it. The only reason there's hope for him is Jesus. And there's, the only reason there is hope for you and me today is the fact that Jesus is for you and he is much stronger than anything you could ever wrestle with and he's much better too. I want to remind you of a couple of verses that you, you likely already know. One of them is probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. John chapter 3. And verse 16. Look at what it says. It says this, For God so loved the world. Now notice it doesn't say, God so loved the world that, that had their life together. God so loved the people in the world who had things figured out and had their lives cleaned up. That is not what it says. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, this is a very well-known verse, and, and for good reason. But so often we don't read verse 17. And what we miss out on is the then what, okay? Verse 17, for God did not, here's what it says, for God did not come, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but instead to save the world through him. Jesus is more than powerful enough to deal with your struggles. Now, can we have a lighthearted moment for a minute, real quick? We are a lot more like children than we want to acknowledge, right, adults? <laughs> okay, when, when I'm just... My only child who's not in here is my daughter this morning, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about her for just a second, okay? Shh, okay. When I talk to my daughter about struggles, but dad, I just can't stop. You ever heard that from a child? I can't, I can't change, I can't do it. And isn't the reality that we're a whole lot more like that up here than we want to admit? When in reality, 
Jesus showed up not to condemn you, not to give you a list of do's and don'ts, not, not, a, not a self-help book. He showed up to rescue you, to save you. It's just a question of whether or not we'll let him. He is more than powerful enough. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to, to, to believe me, okay? But I do want you to know that Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He didn't. He came to rescue you. He didn't come to condemn you for your addictions or your struggles. He came to rescue you from them. I want you to hear one man's story about what God did when he decided to let Jesus help. To move up into the country, so he bought a small 80-acre farm outside of Springville. And the following year, my parents... uh, sent my brother and I back down to Philadelphia to stay with friends. Somehow I was selected to share a bedroom with the older teenage boy. And it was during that period of time that I was sexually abused. And when I returned home after that week, uh, I was really confused, angry. There was shame, guilt. I had no idea how to share what had taken place, but the anger um, just continued to really grow inside of me. I was angry at my parents because, you know, they were supposed to watch over me and protect me. I became a very difficult child who was hard to control. My parents drank, so I I figured at a very young age I could sneak uh, liquor and beer from from my parents without them even knowing it. And I started smoking pot around 11. And uh, I realized that by doing that, I could stay numb. But my life really became about living lies. My drug use continued and I decided to join the Air Force. Uh, I, I joined just to escape my life and how it was. And before I went overseas, I took a 30 day leave of absence. And it was during this period of time in my life that I was introduced to the needle and crystal meth. Probably that decision there was one that really sent my life into spirals. And I traveled throughout Europe. Uh, I was still using, but everything was in control at this point in my life. I met my first wife, Lori. I fell in love with her and we got married. Uh, She knew I was using and it didn't take long before she started using. My tour was up. I was honorably discharged. She still had a year and a half left, had orders for Mountain Home, Idaho, where I contacted someone in Idaho to see if there was speed there. And I was told no. And I made the choice of I was going to walk away from my marriage for a bag of speed and a needle. And it didn't take long before I became very ill. I was suffering from hepatitis. And the doctor told me that if I didn't give up my lifestyle, um, I wouldn't be around long. So I had to give up the alcohol and the drugs, the hard drugs. I continued to smoke pot, went back to work, and uh, I maintained that way for probably a good year or so. And then I got slowly back into drinking and the harder drugs. 
I always uh, figured that my life would end due to accidental suicide, I would call it. Um, drinking, I would leave the bar and I couldn't even hardly walk. And I would drive well over 100 miles an hour and figured if I lost control, my life would be over. My personal life was totally a train wreck. My niece hooked me up on a blind date and that was with Laura, my wife now. We hit it off and uh, we got married. She had two wonderful boys. Uh, things were going good as far as, you know, the outward appearance, but inside, uh, you know, dealing with kids, uh, a home, a house, responsibility. Uh, I started using more and more. You know, I was dealing to keep supply my own habit, and uh, she was getting more and more uh, concerned. Uh, one night, you know, we got into one argument, and uh, as far as my rage and my anger, it was kind of like a volcano that erupted. Uh, once it started spewing, I couldn't stop, I couldn't control it. And I began to smash things in our home. I don't know how long it lasted, it lasted quite a while. And we both left and I came home and I, for the first time I, I saw the fallout. And I think for the first time in my life I realized that I didn't like the monster that I had become. And at that point, I just said, I'd be better off if, everybody would be better off if I was not in this world. And I remember going to upstairs to our bedroom and taking the pistol and sitting there on the floor. I decided I was going to end my life. And I couldn't do it. And I thought, what a failure I am. Later on that evening, I made some phone calls. And the next day, I was on my way to Bethany Rehabilitation Center for drugs and alcohol. And you know, it was wanting so bad to change, but not knowing if it was even possible. And during that time frame, uh, my wife, Laura, we had been talking to Pastor Jay Molino from Bridgewater. She surrendered her life to the Lord. And she informed me that maybe I should talk to Jay. And Jay came down to see me. I was surprised because, you know, he didn't even know me. I'm sure he knew my story and I was thinking, why would someone want to come and talk to, especially a pastor, come and talk to someone like me? But he did, and he led me to the Lord. And I wasn't sure, not, not surrendering and not, not admitting that I was a sinner and that I needed help. I knew that. What I struggled with was just turning my life over to the Lord, you know, to surrender. And he shared the verse in Revelations about, here I stand knocking at your door. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him. And I was hesitant to just throw the door open. And Jay said, if you only open it just a little bit, that's all you need. And I was okay with that. Just open it a little bit because I was so unsure. And so when I left the rehab, I came to Bridgewater because I felt I owed Jay that much. And... Uh, when I walked through the door, him and his wife stood there, 
He just uh, he just grabbed a hold of me and gave me a bear hug. I think my feet came up off the floor. And as I w walked in, the warm and friendly greeting from the people of the church just blew me away. Never expected that. But I still had a lot of struggles in my life. I still struggle with anger. Still struggle with dealing with my feelings and I just figured that's the way it's always going to be. I'm never going to get rid of my anger. And uh, over time, you know, going through Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery actually put me on the road to of healing. Scripture says that if I'm not willing to forgive, God won't forgive me. The unforgiveness, the bitterness and the anger inside of me was really destroying everything around me. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to forgive. I had no desire to forgive the man who abused me. But as I spent time in recovery, I began to realize that I was no better off than the people that abused me. I was no different. People that I had hurt, I didn't care how bad I, badly I hurt them, how it was going to impact them, how it may have altered their lives. I didn't care. Christ took everything, all my sin, and took it to the cross. He showered me with his grace, his love, and his mercy. And for me to be like him, I had to do the same. And I truly did forgive the man who abused me. And it was like a ton of a weight lifted off my shoulders. As I began to um, do these things, healing started to, to happen more and more. Anger started to dissolve more and more. I no longer want to be in control. I still find myself trying to take control at times. And I can say now that I'm more committed, more in love with my wife now than the day we got married. Been some struggles, but stayed committed in our, in our love and our relationship with the Lord. And uh, finally put all my past behind me to deal with my past, to accept my past. And now I'm looking forward to uh, what God has in store for me now. Terry put his faith in Jesus about 30 years ago. And God has drastically changed his life. And the reality is that our addictions can tell us that that won't work for you. But Jesus is much more powerful. He is. You're, you're not as trapped as you feel. You're not defined by your darkest days. But Jesus is. And Jesus is far more powerful. The question is whether or not we'll surrender. If you're here today and you're wondering, well, what in the world do I do because I don't have a clue, I, I would just tell you a couple of things. Number one, if you want some resources, 
We have a bunch of resources on this thing in particular listed on our Bridgewater website. If you go to Bridgewater, www.bridgewater.church slash align, or align, excuse me, slash asking, you will find a, a, a good number of uh, resources there. There's a couple of books. One that I read years and years ago, it's called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. It's really helpful. Number two, I would tell you, sometimes we just need to talk to somebody else. And if you would just simply take a card like this, put your name on it, and just say help. I will be in touch this week. I will. You don't even have to explain it all. Just say help. Okay, that's it. And I am confident that God will start writing a new chapter for you. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I'm so thankful for the fact that you didn't, you didn't come here to condemn me. You certainly could have, but you sent your son to rescue me. God, I pray that you would give hope and encouragement to each of us here today. Whether we struggle with addictions or know someone who does, or if we're honest and we realize that we've been in a pattern or a cycle of, of sin for a while, God, I pray right now that we would surrender. I pray that you would deliver us and give us strength through your son. I'm so thankful that we have hope because of him and the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.